Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Hey, good morning, Mercy. Morning. morning. Now, in case some of you don't know who I am, I'm uh, Taylor Nock, uh, one of your lay elders here. Um, let me just introduce myself briefly. Um, second of seven kids, uh, ma- uh, met my wife at 14, married her at 20. Uh, we just had our fourth um, beautifully crazy child. So if I say, yeah, if I say anything crazy up here, anything off, uh, feel free to blame it on that. You'll have my blessing. Um, and I also work full time at the uh, Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Uh, both responding to a lot of the spiritual questions that come into the ministry and also supervising the team that does that. It's a great job. Very thankful for it. Um, I'm also a reservist um, in the Air Force. I actually serve as a chaplain. Um, usually I serve 24 days a year, but part of why maybe you haven't seen me a whole lot because I was actually, I was actually at uh, the base I served at about uh, four and a half months uh, earlier this year. Um, and just to step out of the sermon briefly, give a little brief recruiting pitch. You know, the military, the Air Force needs more chaplains, needs more Christians. They, people in the military see hard things, do hard things, live hard lives, and they recognize that they need more than what the world is giving them to help them get through those things. So they often come to chaplains, or they come to those they know who they see walk through these things better than they do, and they ask, how do you do it? Don't feel like you can be a chaplain? Well, there's lots of great opportunities and demolitions where you get to blow stuff up, where you get to shoot things, or are you going to be in intelligence, engineering, things like that? Can't give your whole life to it? You can be a reservist like me, serve a few days a year, um, and you don't feel like you're smart enough for the military? Well, you know, the Marines need Jesus too, and they'd be happy to have you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I have to say that so they won't kill me. Um, but seriously, we're a church that sends, and this could be somewhere where uh, God's sending you. Now on to the sermon. We'll be finishing up our series in Ephesians today, um, going through Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. And as we begin that, I want to first talk about when my wife and I first began our journey with Mercy Church. I was actually on the verge of graduating seminary at the time, already lived here in Charlotte, and was planning on moving out of Charlotte to help plant a church. That's what I really felt called to. But then I heard about Spence being called here, got to know him, met him at a Chick-fil-A, and realized that God had different plans for us. So we put our guests on the table, signed on to be part of the planning team of what was then just Charlotte Church Plant. Um, And in the years since, I've seen God really move, seen us go from meeting in a hotel conference room to now meeting at three locations, seeing people get saved, seeing church plants get sent out, seeing God do incredible things as the gospel has been faithfully proclaimed. But at the same time, those first few years, right after we put our yes on the table, were some of the hardest of our entire lives. Because right after we did that, I lost my job, my wife lost her job, And then while we were serving and leading at a ministry event at our apartments, my wife got robbed at gunpoint. And then while we were on our way to our first small group meeting with Mercy, we made a brief stop, got out of the car. My wife stepped on something even concrete and broke her foot, which was great living on a third floor apartment where she was pretty much stuck for like the next six weeks. 
And this wasn't a unique story among the planning team. People went through very difficult things, very hard seasons that went on for a long time. There was actually a common joke among the planning team that if you moved into a house to help plant mercy, you could expect your AC to break within 24 hours. And it would take a whole lot longer than that for it to get fixed. And some of you might be in a season like this where maybe you just accepted Christ and you thought things would get easier and get better for you. But instead, the people you consider your best friends rejected you, walked away, cussed you out, and wanted to look at you anymore. Or maybe you started coming back to church and immediately after you got that diagnosis from your doctor, you always feared. Or you could be going through lots of different things, lots of different seasons. And I mentioned all this because Paul addressed this very idea in Ephesians 6 where we can maybe come to Christ, we can do something like help plant a church and think things should get good for me, right? Like I should get blessed. My marriage should go well, I should get all the best jobs, and I should never get stopped in traffic on 45. That's what should happen, right? Paul tells us that that's not exactly what's, all, what's gonna happen all the time. If you feel like your life's gone crazy since you came to Christ or since you made some major decision for him, it's not because you're crazy. You don't feel that way because you're crazy. If you feel like life is war, it's because life is war. We have a powerful enemy who's constantly trying to destroy us. Paul tells us this in this passage, but this portion connected to the rest of Ephesians is also meant to give us hope of victory. Yes, life is war, but in Christ there is peace. In fact, the main point we're gonna hold on to as we go through this passage is this. We must be prepared to take our stand against our real enemy using the real armor God has given us. Paul starts to show us what this means by pointing us back to what he's been teaching in the entire letter up until now. Ephesians 6.10, finally, finally meaning something like therefore or in light of everything I just said, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. The foundation of what Paul is about to unveil is not our own ability to work harder, be stronger, or do more. He isn't wrapping up his letter to the Ephesians by telling us to work out more. He's pointing us to God, the true source of our hope. Earlier in the letter, in Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, Paul wrote, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Here, Paul's saying, God has done the work only he could do to save us so that we could do the work he called us to do. And he's reminding us of that theme here. We are not saved because we are good, swift, or strong. God saves us because he is good. We are able to be strong because he is strong. And now that's encouraging, but we might get a little uneasy when we read what Paul has to say next. What we, why we need to be strengthened in God's strength in verses 11 to 12. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Now, I know this is the part where some of you might want to slowly back away like Homer Simpson backing into the hedges. You're like, really? Put on the full armor of God, sure. There are bad people out there, internal temptations we all fight against, and we want to be able to stand against them. Couldn't Paul have said, put on the full armor of God to stand against these temptations? That even sounds like him, and it would be a lot easier to take. 
but so we can stand against the devil? That sounds a bit like water boy territory. Like Paul don't ever want you to play football because football is the devil. <laughs> if that's you, the first thing I want to say is I get it. I've seen how many, some people blame everything they do wrong on the devil so they don't have to take responsibility for it. I've seen how others blame everything from stub toes to Chick-fil-A being out of Polynesian sauce in the devil. I get it, and I am not calling you to that unbiblical position. But the unfortunate thing for a bunch of Americans in 2023 is that we naturally move toward another also unbiblical position. Our culture teaches us that there's a rational scientific explanation for absolutely everything. It's far easier to believe that there's real brokenness in this world because of things like bad wiring in our brain, natural disasters, and evil in the human heart. And the Bible even affirms that really is part of the story. But when we get to that other part that tells us that there's a real being called Satan, along with a variety of demonic forces, we scoff. Give me Jesus, we say, but don't give me that. The real problem with that assessment is this is the word of God. Whenever we take our instincts, our thoughts, and find that we don't like what the Bible says, it is not an indication that there's something wrong with the Bible. It shows that there's something wrong with us. There certainly are things we struggle with because of internal brokenness, but that brokenness originated back in Genesis 3 with the devil's original scheme. He schemed to cause Adam and Eve to eat the fruit they were not meant to eat, and this world became his kingdom, the fact that Jesus Christ is not to die in Luke 4 when he confronts Satan in the desert. Satan is our real enemy, and he's really fighting us with intensity. Revelation 12, 12 tells us he knows his time is short. Jesus fully defeated sin, death, and Satan through his death and his resurrection. And part of why Satan is fighting us with such intensity is he knows this. He knows the Bible and knows the end is coming. And he will take everyone us, every one of us down with him if he can. And before I move on, I want to address the question I know this might be raising for some of you. How can I tell the difference between an attack of Satan or something else? The answer is, un, unsatisfyingly, that we might not always know. There are times the Bible says Satan did this, or this happened because of the evil in man's heart, but it doesn't always. This can seem unsatisfying, but it's actually good for us. It can be good for us because the ways we protect ourselves from the enemy's attacks are also effective against our own sinful nature. You see this water I have up here? I have this in, here my, in case my voice gives out, which has happened to me before, which is always fantastic when it does. <laughs> but if I get that feeling in the back of my throat, that dry feeling that tells me my voice is going away, it's the best approach for me to pause and go, wait a minute, is this an attack of Satan? Or is it allergies? Maybe I didn't breathe in the right essential oils? What could be causing this? That's not the effective thing. The effective thing to do is just drink the water. I know it works. I know this is a tool I've been given to help with this. So you may not always know where the attacks come from, but you can always know how to take your stand. And that's precisely what Paul is about to teach us how to do in the next verses. He starts in verses 13 to 15. For this reason, take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. 
So what do we get from this? We take our stand by putting on God's armor. Now there are a few pieces of the armor here and it's easy to get lost thinking about things like should truth go here, righteousness here. If I put the gospel piece here, am I doing it wrong? First, calm down. Remember, it's a metaphor. The specific pieces of armor Paul relates these things to are less important than the things themselves. First, Paul tells us to take up the truth. This truth is the truth that we hear throughout the entire New Testament. Namely, that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for all our sins, that he rose again on the third day, and whoever places their faith in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Righteousness is related to this. We do not stand in our own righteousness, but if we believe the truth that God sent his son to save us, then we're able to put on Christ's righteousness. We are righteous and able to stand victorious against the enemy who seeks our destruction because we're standing in the righteousness of the one who defeated him. Finally, our feet being saddled with readiness for the gospel of peace means that believing in the gospel fills us with God's peace that surpasses all understanding. And every step we take through every good and bad day, God's peace goes with us. But just how does it defend us against the enemy's attacks? Because he will attack. And remembering these things is part of how Paul is telling us we can defend ourselves. It's good news because we all have those moments where we feel like we failed. When that sin habit we thought was defeated rears its ugly head again. When we stumble, when we give in the temptations we know we shouldn't, and the devil starts whispering in our ear, telling us that we can never change, telling us that we're powerless and we're worthless. And we have those moments, Paul's telling us we can look at the devil and say, no, we are those Jesus Christ died for, and we are never worthless. Jesus gave everything for us because he believed we are worth everything. In Jesus Christ, we are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. We are not powerless, but powerful. We are not wicked, but righteous. We are not forever at war, but at peace with God. As the apostle Peter wrote in 2 Peter 2, 9 to 10, the very passage that gave Mercy Church's name, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I'd encourage you to memorize these verses. Memorize others like them. They're all over the Bible. Memorizing scripture is a fantastic way to take up the armor of God, for it gives you the words to say back to Satan when he tries to make you think you are nothing but your sin. You are not your sin and you will never be again. You are fully forgiven and free in Jesus Christ. Take up that armor daily, remembering the price Jesus Christ paid for you because it's not your armor you wear. It's God's armor. Jesus died so you could wear it. Remember that. We take our stand by putting on God's armor. Not only that, but Paul goes into how we can extinguish the attack in verses 16 to 17. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with what you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Paul is telling us that we take our stand through faith in God's son. That's what he's doing when he takes, the sets, takes some time to stop and tell us why we need this interlinked shield of faith, helmet of salvation, and sword of the spirit. Because the enemy will attack us with flaming, flaming arrows, which sounds pretty terrifying. 
And this shield of faith is what is able to extinguish them all. Faith in the gospel itself and the word of God proclaimed through his son and receiving salvation enables us to defeat all the attacks of the enemy. Believing that we are already saved in Jesus is key to putting on the armor of God. And I need to pause here to specifically address the non-Christians. I know that what I've been saying up to now might sound a little crazy to you with talk of Satan and spiritual forces, but I also know part of it might be resonating with you. Like you recognize that you've tried your whole life to be a good person, to overcome your struggles, and it's hard. It often feels like there's something outside yourself trying to stop you from being good at every turn. And for some reason, no matter how hard you try, no matter how many TED Talks you watch or how many self-help books you read, you just can't seem to find victory. And that's because you need to be clothed in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you're just like Steve Rogers before he took the serum that made him Captain America. You may recognize there's evil out there you want to overcome. You might even want to fight it. You might even be what others would consider a good person. So was Steve Rogers. But he was weak, weak, sickly, un un unable to fight. He needed a super soldier serum to turn him into the hero, Captain America, who could overcome the attacks of the enemy. And you need Jesus to win your battles. We all do. Do you want to be able to resist the devil? Do you want to wear the full armor of God? Then you must place your faith in Jesus Christ. In him, we're able to put on the full armor of God and stand strong against the fiery arrows of the evil one. In him, we who are free can truly walk in that freedom. He already won the war. Now we can walk in his victory. Get up, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And by the way, if you're a Christian, you may already have this super soldier serum to continue the illustration. But part of why we cheered on Captain America in Avengers Endgame when he stood against the armies of Thanos is because he stood. He put on a suit, took up his shield, and he fought. But what you've often done is look at the gospel like a box you check, like I accepted Christ that one night, and now I can count on him to do all the work. I'll put the shield in the closet, keep the armor in the other room, sit in my recliner, and eat a gallon of ice cream. And with that attitude, you wonder why you keep losing the fight. It's because you're not even fighting. But I also want to acknowledge that some of you, you've been fighting, and you fight hard, and you feel like you're losing. And the danger of a passage like this is it can be preached in such a way that it sounds like what I'm saying is you're only suffering, you're only being tempted, and only hurting because you're doing something wrong. You probably encounter people who said dumb things like that, and that's just not biblical. To take you to the Old Testament for a bit, the book of Job tells us about a man named Job who was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. And Satan noticed. He accused Job before God, saying he only loved God because God blessed him. So God let Satan take everything away from him. Job lost his riches, his health, and his children. And to make matters worse, Job's so-called friends who came to comfort him made it clear when they opened their mouths that they thought God would only let this happen to Job because he was a wicked man. But the book shows the opposite. Satan wanted this to happen to Job because he was a good man. And Job didn't know anything about any of this. He knew he suffered, he knew he did nothing wrong, and he cried out to God for an answer. And the amazing thing is God did appear to Job, but he gave him no answer. Instead, God pointed Job to himself. He said, look at me, look at who I am. 
the God who laid the foundation of the earth, who caused the dawn to know its place, who satisfied the appetite of young lions and who gave understanding to the mind. Job did not get answers. He got God. And when we are walking through long seasons of attacks, we may not know why, but we can look to the God who sent his only son to save us. Save us. We can see him, the sinless one who became sin for us. And in him, we can find comfort in the midst of every battle. Not only that, but if you're in that kind of season, I want you to pay extra attention to the next verses. What Paul says in verses 18 and 20 may be especially re relevant for you because Paul reminds us in these verses that we don't have to walk through this fight alone. Look at what he says, starting in verse 18. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. This can seem unrelated to the armor of God, but it's not. Paul is telling us we take our stand through prayer in God's spirit. This is just like everything else we've read up to now. We don't stand in our strength, but God's strength. We don't put on our own armor, but God's armor. We don't need faith in ourselves, but in God's son. And we don't need to count on ourselves to pray for perfect prayers, but we can pray in God's spirit. We aren't alone in prayer any more than we are alone in any of this war against our enemy. So you may be in a season that it feels like the devil has you on the ropes. You may feel like the knockout blow is coming. I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is with you even in what feels like your darkest moments. Romans 8.26 tells us the Holy Spirit is a source of our prayers who intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. If you struggle with prayer, a good first step could just be addressing the Holy Spirit and asking him to help you. God delights to answer prayers like that. Paul tells us to pray in perseverance and an intercession for all the saints. So persevere in prayer, not giving up. This gives us power to fight against the enemy's attacks by connecting us directly to the one who won the victory for us. And private prayer certainly has tremendous value, and I would not discourage that. But those of us in the church should also be praying with and for one another. We are in this fight together. It can feel awkward at times, but that instinct to not even try because of something as simple as awkwardness, well, that's one of the enemy's attacks. He wants us to keep off the armor of God. He doesn't want us to pray. He doesn't want us to pray for one another. As Corey Ten Boom, the Christian author who survived the Holocaust once said, when a Christian shuns fellowship with other Christians, the devil smiles. When he stops studying the Bible, the devil laughs. When he stops praying, the devil shouts for joy. All of these things are connected. Putting on the belt of truth, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, praying for one another and everything else in this passage. The armor is incomplete without every piece. And the last two verses, 19 and 20, should be encouragement for us all. For Paul, the apostle of the Gentiles, who was selected by Jesus himself on the road to Damascus, who was persecuted, who was stoned, who was shipwrecked, and who shared the gospel before, Jesus, before Caesar himself, asked, asked for the Ephesians to pray this for him. Pray also for me, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth, to make it known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Have you ever been afraid to pray? Ever been afraid to share the gospel? Concerned that others might reject you if you share the whole gospel? Then I have good news for you. Paul himself dealt with this same struggle. Sitting in a jail cell, as he wrote to the Ephesians, 
He was afraid he would not be bold in sharing the gospel so that he wouldn't offend his jailers. He wanted out of prison, but he did not want to sacrifice the gospel in order to be free. So we asked for, asked for others to pray that he would be faithful. And we can ask others to pray the same thing for us. Are you a college student who's afraid you will give them the same temptations as your classmates and give them reasons to say Christians really are no different than anyone else? Are you afraid you will always be afraid to share the gospel with those you love the most? Are you being tempted to walk faithlessly, going down a path that you know could bring great harm to your spouse, your children, and yourself, even though you know you shouldn't? Then I urge you to pray and ask others to pray for you. Pray for the boldness and the courage to stand firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't let the enemy's attacks draw you away. Take up your armor, take your stand, and pray along with others in the church, in your small group, for the boldness to be faithful to Jesus Christ as he's been faithful to you, even at, a t even at times that it might be hard. We take our stand through prayer in God's spirit. Just to say it again, we must be prepared to take our stand against our real enemy, using the real armor God has given us. It isn't always easy, but you're never called to do it alone. God is always with you. Keep your eyes on him. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the one who took his stand. He stood before Pilate, stood before the mobs who demanded his crucifixion and hung on the cross so that we could be saved. Then he stood alive, resurrected outside the grave that could not hold him. He defeated death. He defeated Satan and those of us who accepted him are not able to walk free in eternal life. This is all pointing us to the eternal joy all those in Christ will feel when Jesus Christ returns to fully crush, Jesus under, crush Satan under his feet once and for all. That day when all fighting will stop, all tears will be wiped away and our defeated enemy will be no more. If we stand and fight in the armor of God today, Revelation 7, 9 to 10 tells us that we can look to the future day when we will no longer stand against Satan. We will instead stand before the throne of God and the Lamb. We will stand there worshiping, victorious, among a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one can number. We can fight the enemy today, knowing that day is coming. We can withstand Satan's attacks, knowing he's a defeated enemy. He knows it, Jesus knows it, we know it. Jesus has trampled Satan under his feet. We have everything we need to take our stand against him. So let's put on our armor together and take our stand. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. From the earliest days of creation, Satan has been there trying to destroy us. We listened to him and we rebelled against you. But you did not leave us to him. You sent your only son for us. You gave us your armor. In these days that Jesus has come and we wait for him to come again, we can stand against Satan's attacks in faith, knowing that you're always with us, defeating the enemy on our behalf. For those among us who feel weak today, I pray that you would help them to see just how strong they are in you. For those who feel alone, help them to see the church Jesus died to create so that we would have brothers and sisters to walk through all things together. Strengthen us in your vast strength. Help us to put on your armor and fight the good fight. Thank you that you've never stopped fighting on our behalf and in you, we know we have victory. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, amen.